scripture reading is taken from Luke, Luke chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. Luke chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. After he had finished all his saying in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they had come, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does this, does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. May God bless the reading of his word. fellow disciples of Jesus Christ of Grace Baptist Church, grace and peace to you in the name of Jesus Christ. It's my great privilege to be with you this afternoon to share on a passage that is very, very dear to me. I'm sure you will learn something important about it. It's about starting and sustaining missions, or since it is Great Commission Month, we emphasize discipleship. We can also say starting and sustaining discipleship. How can we start? How can we sustain our following of Jesus Christ? The answer is very simple. By faith in Jesus Christ. We start it this way. We sustain it this way. By faith in Jesus Christ. Always looking unto Jesus Christ. Yes, by faith. Then how does faith look like? What does faith look like? In the passage we have read today, we will say we have seen a portrait, a portrait of faith, a portrait of this centurion. And uh, as we look at him, we see this is faith. And so as we study the passage, as we think through it, I hope that it will speak to you, that uh, you will find discipleship, in a sense, very simple, by faith in Jesus Christ. Start it, sustain it, and this centurion is a very good example of faith. On this lost day, and the first Sunday of our Great Commission Month, our risen Lord Jesus Christ reminds us and commands us to follow him and to proclaim the gospel and to care for people in our community who are poor 
in spirit, poor in body, and poor in soul. Yes, indeed, people in our community, many of them, families in poverty. We have a tuition program that helps people, families who are poor, who have, cannot afford tuition for their children. It's wonderful that Grace Baptist has this ministry. Yes, we have in this community poor families and children from broken or dysfunctional families. And some of them need to be fostered to homes that are more healthy, even Christian homes. In fact, they prefer to foster these children to Christian homes for obvious reasons. And then we have many weak and lonely old folks. We meet them most of the time in the hawker centers of the heartlands. I see a lot of them in Amokyo in the evening. A lonely man usually will sit there, eat or drink by himself. You will sit near and talk to him. He will be glad to talk to you and share with you some of his heartaches. Yes, indeed, in each and every one of our communities are young and old who need a helping hand. And there is no better helping hand than the hand of our Lord Jesus Christ. Countless people in the bondage of addictions, drugs, the internet, pornography, the sexually indulgent men and women, wealthy people whose houses are filled with expensive things, but their hearts are empty. Yes, indeed, my friends, as we think about discipleship, about missions, we think about these people who are in need. In fact, we have prostitutes and migrant workers who come from the very countries we are sending missionaries to. The three countries listed in the Ministry of Grace Baptist, Thailand, Cambodia, Indonesia. Well, migrant workers and prostitutes come from them. And Myanmar and the Philippines, people need the Lord. They need the love and abundant life that Jesus Christ can offer. You have experienced it. It's for us to share it so that others may know this life. This is why we engage in discipleship. This is why we engage in missions. What is missions? To put it very simply, is to connect needy people with Jesus. We are the medium. We connect needy people with Jesus Christ. That essentially is missions. Are we doing that? Are you doing that? I believe we do. If not, today is a good reminder, a command from the Lord to go back to the basics. Yes, we connect people who suffer from disorder, from disease, and from death because we have faith in Jesus Christ. We have an answer. We have a Savior. And we have a solution to their needs. And so when we connect them with Jesus, we will see Jesus at work. And we would be beside them to enable them. But ultimately, it is the Lord Jesus Christ's work 
in transformation. So starting and sustaining missions or discipleship takes faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. To the extent that our faith is strong in Jesus, our missions work will be strong. Our discipleship will be strong. If our, if our eyes are off Jesus, then we can be sure that our following Jesus will be weak like Peter. He followed Jesus from afar and he fell into temptation and denial of Jesus Christ. Our scripture passage from Luke today teaches us what faith in Jesus is like. It is a faith that looks to Jesus for the answer to a helpless and hopeless situation. That is faith. That is a proper exercise of faith in the, in the midst of a helpless, hopeless situation. We look to Jesus, and it is a faith that Jesus commands. It is the right thing to do. Look to Jesus. The centurion in Capernaum was a commander of 100 soldiers. He represented the power of the Roman Empire. Yet, he was in a helpless situation. In his home lay a sick slave. The ESV translates servant. Actually, the word is slave. And I think Luke purposely used this word because he used the word servant purposely later on. So in this home is a slave, Dulos, verses 2, 3, 8. Someone very special to him. The servant was described as highly valued by his master. Though precious to his master, the slave's life was hanging by a thread. Paralyzed in his bed, he was sick beyond the help of the best doctors available. I'm sure the centurion has tried all means, but he had no solution. Here is a need in the family. It is not about the master or the lady of the house. It is not about their child or children. Rather, it is about a slave or a servant who is very dear to the family. He was low in social status, but very high in dignity that the master has accorded to him. When I thought about this, I'd like to ask this question. What is the implication of this for Singapore? For we have many maids, we have many servants in our homes. Do we employ a maid? Or do you employ a maid in your home? The centurion loved his servant and grieved that he was becoming weaker by the day. The centurion appreciated and treasure this servant. I just wonder whether our, our maids in our homes are accorded the same kind of honor, dignity, even though he is a slave. Not just an employee, per se. So I think this is something that caught me, and I thought maybe I would draw this to your attention. I don't have a maid at home. You may. And does this maid enjoy dignity and a sense of being valued like the servant or the slave in this centurion's home. Yes, 
the centurion, when he was helpless and thinking of all ways to minister to this beloved servant of his or slave of his, he remembered there is this Jew called Jesus who spoke wisely and healed many people. His slaves had been reporting to him. Maybe Jesus can help. But then, the centurion thought to himself, Jesus does not know me, and Jews do not like us Romans. I know. I shall ask my Jewish friends to invite Jesus to my house on my behalf. So, the elders of the Jews, probably civil leaders, went and met Jesus on the road. They told him about the need. The other Jews, however, among the crowd, were astonished that these Jewish elders pleaded honestly on behalf of a Roman soldier. They were very surprised. Yes, the Roman centurion was highly respected by the Jewish elders. That's why they did this favor for him. Like Cornelius in Acts, he was most likely a God-fearing man, a God-fearer who worshipped the God of Israel. He had won the hearts of his Jewish friends by his kind deeds. In fact, the elders told Jesus, he loves our nation. Furthermore, they emphasized it was he who has built our synagogue, they told Jesus. This man deserves to have you do this. He is worthy. So they came and told Jesus in no uncertain terms to really go and help this centurion. I think we can sense a tension among the crowd. Some Jews might be whispering, would Jesus go to a Gentile's home and heal a sick man? Probably a Gentile too. Would Jesus, a Jew, do that? Well, by his action, Jesus gave them the answer. He readily responded to the need and the request to the relief of the elders. They went. He went. So they, they gladly led the way. So they were on the way to the centurion's house. However, as we read in the episode, when Jesus was not far from the centurion's house, he was met by another group, other friends from the centurion. They brought a surprise. The centurion, having asked Jesus to come to his house, now requested Jesus not to come. Why? Well, he might be showing respect to Jesus because Jews do not enter Gentile homes. So perhaps, on second thought, he sent his friends, second wave, you know, and uh, told Jesus not to come to his home. But what? Is there any other reason? More likely is that after dispatching the Jewish elders in the panic of the medical emergency, the centurion suddenly realized why? I'm not treating Jesus respectfully enough. Though his friends 
through his friends, the centurion called Jesus, Lord. He considered Jesus to be a person of the highest rank and authority. He felt unworthy to receive him in his home. Earlier, he sent his elders because he considered himself unworthy to approach Jesus personally. Now he said to Jesus, to his friends, say, say to the word to, my, to me, say the word and my servant will be healed. Now here the word is used, servant, pies, which can be translated child or son. It is a term of endearment. So by Luke described this person as a slave, this centurion said, he's my pies, he's my, my child, my son, my servant. So we can see how precious, how dignified he treated this servant of his. How great was his love for his servant. Now the centurion understood authority. He himself had soldiers under him and slaves under his command who will obey him without question. Thus he submitted himself totally to Jesus to show true respect to Jesus when he came to realize his position of authority. And he recognized Jesus' authority. So he told Jesus through his friends, don't come to me. Just command. Just give the word. And I believe you have the authority to accomplish the purpose. So he was showing the highest respect to Jesus. First, by not going to Jesus. And secondly, by asking Jesus not to come, just say the word. As I did, as I do, say the word and things will be done and my servant will be healed. So he just waited for the Lord's command. Even more, he believed that the authoritative word of Jesus Christ will be fulfilled even though the Lord may not be personally present. That's amazing. That is the faith of this centurion. Yes, starting and sustaining missions, starting and sustaining discipleship, ultimately is a journey of faith. To the extent we have faith in Jesus, we shall be able to start and sustain this journey. So when this happened, the crowd murmured, tension arose. The centurion has incredible faith. But now, can Jesus do it? This is called distant healing. Can Jesus do it? Well, Jesus himself was amazed. It's a verb used 13 times in Luke. 12 times it describes people's amazement mostly in response to Jesus' teaching and miracles. It is used only one time of Jesus here. In his perfect humanity, Jesus was amazed by the centurion's faith. He declared that 
Hitherto, he had not found such great faith anywhere, not even in Israel. Jesus held up this man as a model of faith. And today, when we ask, by faith, what does it mean? What does faith look like? Look at the centurion. Look at his faith. And that is the lesson we will learn today. Sarah, what do you think? Would the power of the kingdom of God bring a change to the servant's condition? Could Jesus Christ bring healing without his personal presence? How did the centurion's friends return to the house? We can think they must have walked very fast. Maybe part of the journey is ran, no? Because they are excited. They are under tension because Jesus Christ pronounced the word of healing and they want to see whether it will be done. So if I were one among them, I would also be very anxious to know whether this will come true. That is the feeling. There is tension, there is excitement, there is anticipation. What was the scene like when they arrived? Luke, the author, left all these we call narrative gaps. That means he left many things unsaid and leave it to your imagination. So I put my sanctified imagination cap on and try to visualize. So, if I'm not accurate, you can correct. But you can also fill this narrative gap and just imagine what the scene was like. So this is what I imagine because there is no record. I can only imagine. But I don't don't think you'll be too far away from the truth. In the inward eyes, in our inward eyes, we can see the servant suddenly take a turn for the better. His breathing, hitherto short and shallow, became steady and calm. Color returned to his pale face. The fever broke. Behold, he opened his eyes, and the centurion grasped his hand with tears of joy, assuming that soldiers also cried. Members of his household embraced, patting each other on the back. Amidst the euphoria, the the servant's smile shone with newfound health. That's my imagination. Do you think it's true? Possible. There was joy. There was restoration. There is healing. Faith in Jesus. Indeed, it's efficacious. It does mean that by faith in Jesus, we will experience the power of the kingdom of God. It has come through Jesus Christ. And even though Jesus Christ was not, was not present personally in that place, yet the miracle still happened. And so we fast forward to our times. Our Lord Jesus Christ, He has died rose again and ascended to heaven and he reigns from heaven and is among us, indwelling the body of Christ and indwelling you and me. And so the power of the kingdom is available. We don't see him, but 
we can experience His reality and also His power. Yes, Jesus Christ, the promised Savior, has come with all the authority and power of the kingdom of God. And He's transformed the lives of those who believe in Him. And we sit here, many of us, most of us, if not all of us, as His witnesses, that indeed the Lord is real. And so, my friends, as we look at this passage, we find that we do see three points that we can notice. First of all, we see the fallen condition of humankind. In this passage, the fallen condition is seen in the home of this centurion. Disorder, disease, and death has come, and in fact, will come to all humankind. No one can escape. Sin and alienation from God is the root cause. The servant's mortal illness indicates humankind's fallen condition. That is what we see in the gospel. And we can read this, read the gospel with this, with this idea. What, what fallen condition do I see? And then we see it then. And we see it now. And we find that our eyes are turned to Jesus Christ. He is our source of hope. Unseen, but present. And we can trust in Him to make our journey and to be light and salt of this world. Yes, indeed, this mortal illness, indicative of the disorder, decay, and death of fallen humankind, when it comes pain, anxiety, helplessness, sadness, and despair. But as Christians, as disciples, we can reverse all this. We have comfort, we have peace, we have help, we have joy, and we have hope. The gospel of Jesus Christ and His power has reversed what sin has brought to this world. And so we have faith in Jesus. And this is the basis of our discipleship and our missions. And so as we look at the centurion, a representative of the Roman Empire, and it signifies the impotence of the Roman Empire. It conquered nations. In the end, it perished with the inward disorder, decay, and death. The Roman Empire is gone. But the kingdom of Jesus Christ marches on until the day he comes in glory. So my friends, This is our hope, and we rejoice. So we not only see the fallen condition, we also rejoice with the centurion and his household to see the redemptive solution of God. We are not hopeless. We are not helpless. We have the redemptive solution of God brought by Jesus Christ. God is restoring His kingdom through Jesus Christ. He has fulfilled His past promises of a coming Messiah, Savior. History has left three holidays to remind us of the truthfulness of God's Word. We have Christmas. We have Good Friday. And we have Easter Sunday. And today we celebrate 
the Lord's Supper as a reminder of Christmas. It's a reminder of Good Friday. It's a reminder of Easter. Do this. Do this until I come again. So Jesus Christ is returning and he will bring the right kingdom of righteousness and peace. He has fulfilled the past promises and we, sh- we are sure that he will fulfill the last promise of his second coming. So my friends, God is continuing his past redemptive work through the atoning death, resurrection, and present reign of the risen Christ. In the past, the Lord Jesus Christ has finished the work of redemption. And now presently, the Lord Jesus Christ is reigning. He is the Lord. He's the Lord of the church. He's Lord of the universe. So the world is in a mess. Bigger mess than ever. Very uncertain. All the markets are tumbling and everybody is withholding because the market requires stability. When there is no stability, nobody wants to invest. So everybody pulled their funds out. So the pounds drop. And uh, I think if you buy shares and stock, you have lost some money already, haven't you? We live in this kind of world. So our hope cannot be based on this world alone. We must be based our life, our whole aspiration on things that are eternal. Our God is eternal. God's word is eternal. People with souls are eternal. Love is, is eternal. These I can name at least four. And if our lives revolve around these four realities, we will not live in vain. If not, I'm afraid that you may regret at your deathbed. So today, as we think about missions, as we think about discipleship, we are thankful, we are thankful that it is not that complicated. It's simply by faith in Jesus. We can start it and we can sustain it. God has brought to us that redemptive solution. Our Lord will return in full glory. And we look forward to that day. And we say, Lord Jesus Christ, come. Don't we want to come? Don't we want the Lord Jesus to come quickly? Yeah. We do want. But at the same time, before that, we have a task. We have a mission. And this gives us the reason why we are here. So the healing of this servant shows that the kingdom of God has indeed come through Jesus Christ. Disorder, decay, and death are being reversed by the reign of Christ. Praise the Lord. We rejoice. And written as God's inspired word, we have the Gospels. The Gospels are also, in a sense, biographies. They are biographies of Jesus Christ. And also in these chapters, we find many characters beside the main character, Jesus Christ. And so we can come to the third point, that is virtual formation. We have the fallen condition, we have redemptive solution, and we have the virtual formation. And these three topics can be helpful for the reading of the gospel. And in virtual formation, we look at people who are good models to follow and people who are bad models to avoid. 
And so here we have a good model, and the model is the centurion. The word faith does not occur in this episode until Jesus marveled at the great faith of the centurion. So this means that the words and the deeds of the centurion in this episode depict exemplary faith. So by watching his action, by listening to what he says, we see faith. And I think we have already gone through that. And so he's a very wonderful model of faith. And so we can explore a bit further. Faith begins with assent. And uh, it is believing that God exists and that he has sent Jesus Christ to reveal himself and to redeem sinner, sinners to himself. So assent is agreement, agreement to the truth. And I believe the centurion has this assent. So if you ask him, do you, believe, do you believe in God? Yes. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes, I do. That's assent. But that's agreement only. But we must come to a second level of faith, and that is trust. Now before I go to that, let me share with you my recent encounter with Mr. Lim. He's a taxi driver. He was very attentive and open. As I shared with him, he agreed with what I said. He also recognized his life now coming to a retirement age. He drives the taxi three times a day, uh, three times a week, sorry, <laughs> three times a week. He has a grandchild and he finds wife very boring, meaningless. So he, he recognizes the futility of life. So I share with him Christmas, Good Friday, and Easter, he understood. Somehow, I think he has a background. But when I ask him, what do you think? He said, I'll think about it. <laughs> Are you ready to, to believe in Jesus? He said, I agree what you say. I will think about it. This is assent. He has assent. He agrees. But he has not trusted. He, for us disciples, we not only agree and assent, we also must trust. I told him, I said, I trust in you. I trusted in you. I know that you can carry me from this point to my destination. This is why I got into a car. I let you drive me there. This is trust. I trust you. And Jesus Christ has promised you life, abundant life and forgiveness. If you trust him, commit your life to him, you will experience it. He said, I will think about it. So he is still remaining at the ascent stage. But for disciples, we must come to trust. Get in the ship. Get in the car. Get in. Jesus will bring you on this journey. That is what we learn about uh, virtual formation, faith. So as we look at this centurion, we find that faith is indeed more than ascent. Faith is trust. Is it coming to Jesus with our need for forgiveness, with our helplessness, with our longing for change? It is expressed in the centurion's four words. But say the word. I am unworthy to come to you. 
I do not need to see you, Lord, but say the word, and my problem will find a solution. Trust. He trusted in the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we trust in the Lord, in Jesus, we come with complete humility because I cannot do anything. Lord, I am totally helpless and hopeless. You are my only hope. I come to trust in you. I depend wholly on you. When we do so, we are like the centurion. The Jewish elders came to Jesus with the words, He is worthy. They thought good deeds deserve to be noticed and rewarded. Sometimes we think that way. When we have served faithfully for a long time, and something bad happens to us, we may ask, Lord, why? Not fair. Lah. Why like this? Not true. If we are really trusting God, we trust Him without condition. We just trust Him, knowing that He knows better. And He has the power and the goodness to bring the best to us. So we agree with the centurion. However, that good works do not obligate God to treat us with special favor. We simply come to Jesus with humility and trust. That is faith. Move from assent to trust. To trust in Him that He will carry us through. So faith is trust. Faith is also, secondly, commitment. That means once you put your trust in Jesus, you are committed to Him, you are loyal to Him. You will not back off. You will not turn aside. You will not give up when something bad happens because you trust Him. And He is deserving of our trust because He loves us and gave Himself for us. So this centurion came to Jesus and twice, twice he said, I am unworthy. I am unworthy to come to you. I am unworthy to have you enter my house. Just say the word. So for the Christian, it can mean, Lord Jesus, I am unworthy to come to you as a sinner. I only come because of your mercy and your grace. Now cleansed and forgiven, Lord, I'm unworthy to have you indwell me. The Lord Jesus Christ indwells us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. I'm unworthy, but Christ lives in me. So my friends, as we come to understand faith, we know that faith is trust. Faith is commitment. Like commitment of our wedding ring, reminding you that you have made this commitment. Carry it through. Lastly, faith is also obedience. It is to trust and obey. Trust and obey God to do His will and remain committed even when it becomes costly. So these words are very much related. Move from assent to trust. And together with trust, there is commitment. 
together with commitment, there's obedience. And these words should be part of our vocabulary of discipleship because we are his people. So the centurion is a worthy example of obedience. Jesus Christ, who had commanded him, is our perfect example of obedience. We know that already. I will not belabor the point. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, if it were possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, your will be done. That is trust. That is commitment. That is obedience. And this is the life of a discipleship. And this is the path that leads to the truly abundant life. A little child asked his father, Dad, how much does Jesus love me? The dad said, this much. No, more than that. This much. No, more than that. This much. Oh, I love this much. The love of Jesus is in the shape of a cross. He loved you and loved me and gave himself for you and me. The Son of God. He loved you to the end. One time, a young man went to China in the old days when sanitary conditions were bad. He went to visit his relative and his relatives told him to be careful because you, know, you come from Singapore, you have nice toilets, you know, flush toilet and all this. We don't have all this. Even to go to the toilet, you go outside, it's a big hole there with two planks and some surroundings, you know, you know, whatever, you kind of mats and so forth. And you go there and do your business, but be careful, don't fall inside. However, somehow he fell inside. So when he cried for help, you know, swimming in, not, not water, but swimming in those stuff, you know, the cesspool. Everybody came and looked, ah, how can you be so careless? You know, everybody say something, but nobody did this. Then when he was really desperate, somebody jumped in to help the young man out. It was his father. His father jumped in. Two or few helped this young man out. You know, sometimes it's very hard to find an analogy to describe what it means for Jesus Christ to come to this world and to die on the cross. And I find this very powerful, that Jesus Christ, when he came to this world, the world of disorder, decay, and death, filled with filthy, with sin, much worse than a cesspool. And he jumped into this cesspool to rescue you, to rescue me. And in the end, he got drowned in it. He drank the stuff and got drowned in it. He loved you and me and gave himself for you and for me. So when you think about this, I think no sacrifice is too big for us in the path of discipleship. And this is our challenge. Beginning, starting and sustaining missions. Starting and sustaining discipleship. Ultimately, it is by faith. By faith in Jesus. And today we learn from the 
centurion and know that here is a good model. Humble faith, trusting, committed, and obedient. And we can go forth and learn from the perfect master, Jesus Christ, trusting, committed, and obedient. And this is a beginning, the beginning of our missions month. I just pray that it will be a fruitful month for all of us so that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, in the midst of so much comfort and ease, we forget what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And yet, we find that ultimately, it is faith in Jesus Christ. OM just celebrated its 35th anniversary yesterday. I was there to share the joy. And the founder of OM has uh, two simple watchwords for the movement. And I think it's so appropriate. Jesus is alive. Salvation is in Christ. Trust in Jesus. He is alive. And we, in Him we have salvation. It is faith in Jesus that saves us. It is also faith in Jesus that will sustain us. And this is the Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for teaching us the way of faith through the centurion, and ultimately through your son Jesus Christ. As we return to our homes, schools, and the marketplace, you remind and command us to proclaim the gospel and to care for people in our community people who are needy in body, soul, and spirit. Dear God, mold us and use us so that our neighbors in our communities will find us humble, trusting in you, committed to you, and obedient wherever the place, whenever the time, and whatever the circumstances, so that they may also have faith in Jesus, to the glory of your name. Amen.